Myrtle Beach is the beach. 60 miles of bright sand, water, and a wealth of wonderful music playing day and night. You can step into a simple beach bar and discover a surprising level of exciting musical talent. A place to kick back and groove to the enticing soundtrack of the most unexpected vacations around. With nothing but good vibes floating through the warm ocean air. Plan your own music-filled trip to America's Jukebox at visitmyrtlebeach.com. Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. 60 seconds. That's exactly how long this commercial lasts. You know what else you can do in about a minute? You can get an offer for your car with True Car. That's right. In the amount of time it takes to floss your teeth, pet your dog, do a few sit-ups, or just listen to my voice, you can get a True Cash offer. Best of all, you can do it from your smartphone or home. Just go to True Car and simply enter your license plate number and watch how your car's details pop up. Answer a few questions and you'll get an accurate True Cash offer from a local True Car certified dealer. It's that easy. After that, you can bring your car in and they'll check it out. And uh, you guys can look at over together. You can ask questions. You get the answers you need so there's no surprises. Then simply leave with your check or trading your car for a new ride. So when you're ready to experience a better way to sell or trade in your car, check out True Car today. Since 1983, Eddie Trunk has been the voice for fans of rock, hard rock, and heavy metal. A best-selling author, host of TV's That Metal Show, and seven national radio shows, including Trunk Nation, daily on Sirius XM. Interesting. Eddie offers the world his news-making interviews, passionate analysis, honest commentary, and who knows what else. So welcome to the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Everybody, it's Eddie Trunk, and it's time for another episode of the Eddie Trunk Podcast, which is new every Thursday. Podcastone.com, iTunes, and anywhere you get your favorite podcast. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for listening wherever you do so around the world, however you listen. It is greatly appreciated. And uh, excited to bring you this interview this week. I think you're going to really enjoy it. It is with one of my favorite newer artists out there. And we'll get to that in just a second. I just got back from L.A., another great trip there. Hosted a show with The End Machine, which is basically Dawkin with Robert Mason singing uh, instead of Don Dawkin. Great to see them and uh, real good new album from them as well. It's the age-old problem with those bands, though, that are sort of those super groups, if you will. Uh, How much can they do considering all the other guys are in various other bands becomes very, very difficult for them to be able to... uh, you know, to focus on promoting new bands. But this band, End Machine, George Lynch, Mick Brown, Jeff Pilsen, and Robert Mason turned in a few great performances just to establish to everybody that they were a real band and that they were going to at least play some, at least three shows, which is what they ended up doing. 
And the show that I went to, Mick Brown wasn't even able to play that show because he had a conflict. So Will Hunt filled in on drums and really was great as well. So it was a good show there. Saw John Five on Saturday at the Whiskey in L.A. John Five is just a master guitar player, a close friend, and uh, had a sold-out show there at the Whiskey. Each time I see him do his solo thing, it gets a little bigger, a little better. He had Michael Anthony, Corey Taylor, and Fred Corey come out and join some Van Hal- uh, jam some Van Halen uh, songs with them, which was just so great. And Rob Zombie was in the house watching. Really, really good time there. And then this past Monday, I hosted the latest in my monthly broadcast series from the Rainbow in L.A. It's called the Trunk Nation L.A. Invasion. Had a great one, wild one this past Monday with Rob Zombie, David Coverdale, and Marilyn Manson. And, man, did we have some fun. And I thank everybody that came out. So... If you miss that, you can hear it on demand right now on the SiriusXM app, and you can also hear it replay this weekend on SiriusXM 106 volume, 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern time. Just uh, Coverdale in hour number one, who was just shot out of a cannon, and we had so much fun with him. And then in hour two, Zombie and Manson together, who are touring together for the fourth time coming up. And it was as entertaining and as much of a train wreck as you would have expected it to be. So bottom line is nobody disappointed, and we had a great time. And thanks to everybody who came out to the Rainbow. I'll be back there again to do it again on May 6th from the Rainbow with another major special guest to be announced. So let me remind you also, May 5th, the Dio Cancer Fund Ride for Ronnie event. If you're in Encino, come out and join us for that. All the proceeds go to the Dio Cancer Fund. That is coming up May 5th in Encino, California, the Ride for Ronnie, DioCancerFund.org for more information there. Like I said, May 6th will be the next L.A. Invasion from the Rainbow. April 25th, I'll be hosting Whitesnake at the Hard Rock in Hollywood, Florida. Come on out if you're in South Florida and see me there as well. As usual, everything is on EddieTrunk.com. All the appearances and follow on Twitter and Instagram at Eddie Trunk. And there's also a fan page on Facebook. Finally, let me remind you that what you hear on the podcast here, interview wise, all originates on my daily radio show on Sirius XM 106 volume. The channel is uh, called volume. The show is Trunk Nation. Again, the number is 106 on your dial. And I'm on every day, 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern time live talking rock with you, taking your calls, interviews, etc. And that show replays every night, 9 to 11 p.m. Eastern. And full shows are available on demand on the SiriusXM app. You only are getting a tiny taste of what I do on a daily basis on volume. If you're in the U.S. and Canada, hope you come on board if you are not already. The interview you're about to hear this week did indeed originate on my show on volume a couple weeks ago, more like three weeks ago to be exact, maybe a little longer actually, from the studios in Los Angeles where I often work as well. And it is with the guitar player and the co-founding member of the band Rival Sons, Scott Holliday. If you are unfamiliar with Rival Sons, you need to educate yourself, my friends. I have been singing this band's praises now for probably about seven years 
And to me, they are one of the best and most important rock bands we have emerging today. They have just released their major label debut and their sixth album. They are now signed to Atlantic Records. Feral Roots is the name of the new record. I think it's the best one they've made. To me, they have probably the best singer in rock in Jay Buchanan. It uh, it boggles my mind as a rock fan, the hoopla over Greta Van Fleet, and this is not to knock on them in any way. I still don't know quite, quite what to make of them, but I am shocked at the unbelievable amount of success that they have had. When you consider a band to me like Rival Sons is light years beyond them, in terms of their ability uh, as as songwriters and where they are right now and doing something kind of similar, but not nearly as Zeppelin-like. I mean, Rival Sons are certainly Zeppelin-like, but nothing to the degree of Greta Van Fleet. And it's a comparison that I see made a lot. There was an interview with Rival Sons in Classic Rock Magazine And all they did was talk to them about Greta Van Fleet. And, of course, the guy said all the nice things and took the high road and all that. And, look, Greta is way younger and are doing tremendously well, which is great for rock. But I guess the point I'm trying to make is just rival sons were basically doing what they are doing, but in my opinion, way, way, way better a long, longer time ago, but just in America at least kind of fell between the cracks. They did not fall between the cracks in England. Even though Rival Sons is an American band, they have been embraced greatly in England, where they are often on the cover of magazines and do tremendous business. Now, here in the U.S., it's starting to change, too, because they have opened every show on Black Sabbath's farewell tour. They are currently on tour in America with about half the show's advanced sellouts. So don't get me wrong, Rival Sons have their fans and are doing quite well in their native U.S., but to me, they should have been huge and they should be a household name, and they just aren't quite yet uh, in America. It's getting there, though, and like I said, major label album, the new one, Feral Roots, I think is probably the best record they've made so far. I love the band. To me, it's they're everything that's great about hard rock music, huge riffs, innovative cool guitar playing unbelievable lead singer and um all real all live all in your face they jam they're just a real live rock band no bs no tracks no auto-tune no over the top production crazy stuff just all the things that are great about rock music in one exceptional band so on this week's show If you're a fan, I think you'll enjoy the conversation. If you are not a fan, hopefully you'll learn a little bit about this band and take the next 45 minutes to listen to this interview and check out Feral Roots, listen to a song like Too Bad, listen to a song like Sugar on the Bone, listen to a song like Back in the Woods. I mean, just kick-ass stuff. And uh, get into this band that I've been screaming about for so, so long. And you can see them currently on tour. See if there's a date coming near you in the U.S. So Scott Holliday, who is uh, one of the band's founding members and chief songwriters, is the interview you're about to hear. It happened about three weeks ago in the L.A. studio. 
just as the band were getting ready to go out on the tour that they're currently on. We talk about the new record. We talk about all the touring they've done. They've opened for the Stones. They've just had a ton of cool gigs that they've played and, you know, where they're headed with things. And I think you're really going to enjoy it. So that's coming up in a matter of minutes on this week's Eddie Trunk podcast. Don't go anywhere. Scott Holiday from one of my favorite newer bands, Rival Sons, up next. The Eddie Trunk Podcast. Hey, check out the hit podcast based on the Emmy-nominated A&E series Cold Case Files on Podcast One. Listen to powerful stories of crimes almost forgotten by the passage of time with interviews of the people involved as investigators shine a new light on these cases and bring those responsible to justice. Download new episodes of Cold Case Files every Tuesday on Podcast One or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. This is the Eddie Trunk Podcast. All right, let's get into it. My conversation with Scott Holiday, guitarist of the band Rival Sons. Enjoy this on this week's Eddie Trunk Podcast. It's good to see you, man. Sir Edward Trunk, welcome to L.A. Yeah, thank you. And I appreciate the hell out of you making the journey from the O.C., <laughs> Huntington Beach, to be exact. Yeah, to drive in to L.A. on a Monday morning. I drudged my way in beautiful uh, seventy-five degree weather for a full, terrible hour. Is, I think I'm going to make it. I'm it okay. Was it? In, was it? Was it horrible? Was it? An, it should take what twenty minutes. I think. Probably a half an hour, 35 minutes, and it was like an hour and 10. I don't care. I, I'm working from the phone anyway. That's okay. So yeah, I yeah. just did the, the morning checklist and, you know, to handle business. But I've had people who are right here in the general LA area, and they're like, what time? You started at 11? And I was like, yeah. They go, oh, man, traffic's really bad. I have to leave <laughs> like, at 8 in the morning. <laughs> Even for 11, though. I, I could see if my show was on at 7 in the morning. I know. But I it's know. like 11, 11, 30, 12 o'clock. They're like, oh, it's really bad. But you, you've lived here your whole life, so you're probably just used to it, right? Yeah. It doesn't bother me. To be honest, I live one block off the beach in, in Huntington, and I just really barely even leave. I'll come to L.A. for you. But even uh, my manager's here. In the room, I barely even come up there. I always make people come down to yeah. the beach. I'm like, look, we're going to talk business. We're either going to talk it right by the ocean. It's going to be very nice. Or I have to drive into the city. That's not nice. So everybody come here to the beach. Well, I'm the same way because I live in New Jersey. Yeah. And New York City is mileage-wise like 40-something miles from where I live. Yeah. But it's a two-hour ordeal easily each way. It's a whole pain in the ass getting into New York. It's yeah. a whole thing. Not not to mention when you get in and you got to park a car, it's fifty bucks. Yeah. And then the Lincoln Tunnel to go through is sixteen bucks. And you're like, what? I, my show's only two hours a day. It's it's double the amount of time I'm on the air. And you know what they do when they park your car? It's full of like Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Exactly. But Huntington Beach is beautiful, man. You know, I was there. I think for the first time. Last year, Sammy Hagar did a thing on the beach, oh, yeah. a concert Sammy. deal, and uh, it was really a cool event. And he's doing it again, and I hosted the after party. It was a, it's a beautiful area there, man. Yeah, it's fun, and they do they do an open there, the U.S. Open Surf Contest, and it's nice. It's funny this week; it's rained like all month here in California at the beach, L.A., whatever, and that's rare. 
that's like emergency on planet Earth I know. For, for us, you know. I, I, in the meantime, I'm touring through Europe, and it's like snowing and raining. It's 30 below, and they're like, nothing's wrong. This, <laughs> this is a warm winter for us, is what they're telling me. But yeah, it got clear this week, and it got up to like 75, 76 degrees. And I'm close enough to the ocean that you can, as soon as I like open my doors and windows and stuff in the morning, you can hear. It's a, it might as well be mid-July. People are walking their dogs. Girls are in bikinis. People carrying their surfboards. Every parking lot is full. Uh, just old cars cruising everywhere. It's summertime. You're b- born and raised in, in that area right there? Yeah. Yeah, I was born in, in Covina in the Valley, but I ended up moving, I don't know, around junior high to yeah. the beach and kind yeah. of stayed. You um, you guys travel extensively, and I know that Rival Sons pretty much since day one has seemingly, and correct me if I'm wrong, more embraced in england and europe quicker than here in america would that be an accurate statement that's accurate we signed to a label uh, really quickly as rival sons and uh, the label is called earache who does a lot of hardcore metal, metal yeah like really heavy metal like napalm death and uh, uh you know some good give me some good um uh, it's it's i i don't morbid angel yeah yeah <laughs> i'm I trying mean, to I... think of all the very <laughs> That, that stuff's more yeah they're more it's more extreme for my own personal taste so i don't really know it all myself but it, it's hard as hell anyway yeah. we were their first grind course grind stuff. course stuff yeah. that's it yeah. so we were their first rock and roll we were how the, the hell did that happen i i to be honest i, I had a different manager at the time a guy named tom Gonsola, great guy and he was telling me that um hey this label earache is they want to sign you and we were going <laughs> i told him it's a joke I said they're 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 taking a piss out of us. They're like, you know, I'm thinking all if I was at a metal label with all my buddies, we would sit in there and go, hey, 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 let's sign that blues band, that blues rock band. This will be hilarious. <laughs> Tell them we're gonna do it. And so I go, they're 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 joking, man. There's no way that label wants to sign us for real. So it kind of went away, and then it came back, and he said they're not kidding. It's a legitimate offer, and it's not a bad offer. So we went, okay. Okay, let's have a meeting, and we talked with uh, Dan Tobin over there, and and it was legit. They were just trying to expand what they had done, and I understand that. I mean, that's admirable. I mean, when I, you know, decades ago, when I was way younger, I w- I was vice president of the label Megaforce. Oh yeah, which signed Metallica, the first label to sign Metallica. Epic, and we were known for Metallica and. Um, uh, Man of War and dude, oh. Man of War, the best rock posters in history. <laughs> the loincloths. Oh my gosh! <laughs> I don't want to cut in, but I gotta cut in really quick. Yeah. And I heard this story from somebody, a tour manager, that he he was tour managing that band, and one time he went backstage to go get them for the show. I think he was just like like filling in for another guy, and he went back there and he said, "No shit, they were literally in the loincloths with the furry boot things, and had like medieval swords, and they were like you know, knights of the round table." Oh, had- it's the real deal. Um, it's amazing. It's the real deal. I mean, I know those guys. It's <laughs> Joe. I know Joey who runs that band. Yeah. It's the real deal. They're retiring now. Actually, they're ending. But but we had Man of War, we had Overkill, we had Testament, we had all this very uh, the early neck. days of, of thrash metal is yeah. what we had. And then when I got there, I was like, hey, I'd like to maybe diversify a little bit and try to get some straight up rock bands that maybe we could actually get on the radio and do something with. So that so I understand the mentality of the label doing that. Is that, that why you guys signed Hanson? No, we didn't sign Hanson. <laughs> I signed Ace Freely. Sorry, that was the that's first. Not that, that's not that I far signed. of a reach. That's rad. H- Hanson versus Ace Freely. 
I'm saying Ace is great. Of course, you didn't sign Hanson, man. Oh. <laughs> it's not that crazy that I would have signed Hanson. Okay. See, I, we're all over the map here. Do you know that Hanson does a big thing in Tulsa, Oklahoma? No. And I, I think those guys are all wonderful people and everything. I was just looking for an outlandish enough group for you. <laughs> I got to go I signed, further. I signed Wham. There we go. Yeah, no. Hanson, since we're all over the place, Hanson actually does a thing. You know their big song is called Mbop? Of course. Okay. Everyone knows that. So they've got a song called, they've got a festival in Oklahoma where they're from called Mhop, and it's a beer festival, and it's freaking huge. I thought that was their franchise where they teamed up like co-op with IHOP. <laughs> Sorry. When you got when you signed to this metal label, Earache, yeah, were there other suitors as well at the time, or were they pretty much at that time the only option? Um, no, we were talking to other people because our management was a, it was a big management firm. You know, we were with the. Uh, uh, um, Oh my gosh, my mind slipped right now. We were with uh, uh, Irving, Irving. Part of Azov. Part, part yeah. of Azov, I'm sorry. Right. Yeah. So it was a part of the big machine, right. you know? So we were talking to people, but nothing was coming in that was serious enough or real enough. Unfortunately, we were going through then and still are through an era where a lot of the majors want to. They're, they're just. I don't want to say something bad about them. What they're really doing is changing the way they do business. And people stop buying records on a large part. So they had to change how they made money, which also meant they, they aren't going to give bands a bunch of money. And which also meant if you want us to use our resources and our company to, to help you, we can. That's what we do. But how are we going to get paid back? It ain't on the record now. I'll tell you how. It's going to be on the things you do well. Your merch will do good. We need a piece. Your touring will do something. We need a piece. And everybody, for a minute, they call that the 360 deal. Yeah, and for a minute, that looked really, you know, to, to a, a guy like me, that's more old school. I was like, that's a bunch of bullshit because that's the shit you hang on to. Right. That's how we live as right. a band. Right. Um, but what we, or where we're at right now for younger people listening or people that want to understand, that's how labels will make money back on this building of people that they hire to work, you know, radio teams and marketing. And there's only one way they're going to be able to do it. Then it was very ugly. So these deals were coming in. We're going 360. They can kiss our ass. We don't want to do that. And the deal we did with uh, Eric wasn't that. It was do, a much when, more On those 360, deal. did they want a piece of your live shows as well? Yeah. The receipts, like actually what your guarantee is every night? It's complex. But yes, it's it's not it's not like they're just nightly raping you. You know, they, they usually put like a... a a max, like a ceiling on it. Like we're going to take you. And if once you're, you guys already make X amount, but once you make beyond that amount, we want a piece of that, a percentage of that. And is it the old, the old, uh, in perpetuity or Uh, is it only while you're recording for them? Yeah, no, no, no. I'm not I, talking the, about specific to what you guys were looking at, but I, I don't just know. in general, is I that would what say they there's definitely there? there's definitely labels that will do in perpetuity on everything and oh, give them nothing. So and yeah, they do that. Yeah. There's there's bad people out there, you yeah, know. Yeah. You know, we're we're with Atlantic now. And... Well, that's a big move. We should talk about that. Yeah. This new album, which we're going to get into in a second, which is phenomenal, Feral Roots, the first record for Rival Sons, really on a major label, yeah. part of the big machine. Atlantic Records doesn't get more major than that. Entirely. But you yeah. actually, is it through 
Is it Dave Cobb's label, your producer? Like it actually, or is it? Is it secondary imprint of Atlantic? What is it? I'd have to. It's like we're, we're splitting hairs. It kind of happened at the same time because Dave had this thing going, and it's with the Electra, the Electra side with okay. LCS, and we wanted to do something together. And it just so happened that people over at, at Atlantic proper wanted to sign the band, and it kind of just became this thing where where my A and R guy looked over and went. I like this band. I want to sign this band and talk to Dave about it. Like, you're the producer. What do you think? And Dave said, I want to sign this band. And I think I'm giving you a very quick, you know, understanding of it. I think they just kind of looked at each other and went, we want to sign the band. Let's just do it like that. And we were really adamant that we were an LCS band. Because if you look at Dave's label and what he's doing, which is his subsidiary that mainly works through Electra, but now we'll do it through Atlantic with them. Atlantic was going to sign us anyway. We just wanted to do this co- co-op thing and be on both, you know. Any added pressure going in to make this record, knowing that it was the first for a major label? I mean, there's a little pressure, but uh, it's our seventh. We know what we're doing. We know what we want. I think there's more pressure just on us, me to Jay, me to the guys in the band, for us to like move forward in the right direction and feel like we're making something good. Really any art like that you know if you are doing the right thing all the other pressure everyone's gonna love it or whatever as long as i can look at my partners and go we did a good thing that's good what we did i know in my heart we went the right direction we created something with value you know it's valuable to us um that was the biggest pressure probably just making sure on our seventh album we were able to take the step forward but i'd be lying if i didn't say there was some extra you know thought that hey we're finally on a label that's like has a little extra power and muscle and reach a lot more. But you guys laid a hell of a base with the previous six records in terms of the work you put in relentless touring. I mean, you did it the way you do it. You did it. the You really built a base. You built an audience. You built from the ground up. You went out there. And as I said, beyond the label being based in England, I've talked to you about this before. The, I, I get all the British rock magazines. I mean, from the beginning, from the jump, it seems like they loved Rival Sons. Had you guys on the cover of Classic Rock magazine and all this stuff. So it had they they had to have a different beyond the fact that the labels based there. Mm. There had to be some other sort of deeper connection that they found in your music more quickly than here in America over sure. there. I, I, do, do you ever kind of pinpoint that? Sure. Yeah, I'm asked that a lot. I've been trying to pinpoint it for the last you know five years or whatever like let's let's take this apart and see what happened and it's, it starts with the label being there and the label really worked their resources out there so we had an open door to all the magazines and radio stations immediately and as soon as they peeked in and gave us a look they liked it they just genuinely liked it you know this is a small label they're not paying people off or they're having some strong arm acts that they're gonna bend for us you know mm. what's happening is that they just liked what Eric was was peddling, and I think they also thought this is kind of like really audacious. There's a lot of audacity in this like band choosing to go with this metal label. That's weird. There's also a lot of audacity for this metal label to sign this act. This is a story, and I think everyone found it newsworthy and found uh, our our music that it worked, and they liked it. So we got good write-ups and good reviews immediately, and that's really how you start your career and the press means something still in england like those those magazines and those reviews they they still they carry weight there still yeah i think they still mean things here too it's just things are a little bit different 
Yeah. I know what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah, I agree to some to some degree there's uh uh it's a little bit watered down. When was the first time you went out of the country with Rival Sons? What was it to go to England? You won't believe um yeah, you won't believe it. The first tour we did was in 2012, I want to say, 2011, 2012, and we opened for Judas Priest. Really? And I was thinking, why would they want to take us? That doesn't seem like a good match. I was thinking, why would we take that? The whole thing sounds wrong to me. But that's what we had. And that was the best thing we had. And they really wanted to take us. So we said, yeah, let's do it. And it was us. And I think Queensryche played and and Priest. And it was all through the UK, even their hometown. you know. So I thought for sure... We're going to get piss bottles thrown at us. We're going to be up there playing. <laughs> Birmingham, <laughs> yeah, birthplace of metal. We're going to be in Brum getting piss thrown at us, and no, uh, we're going to be playing, you know, ballads and in really fuzzy blues garage rock kind of, and it's not going to translate to these people. I don't know, and it did translate very much, and it worked really, really well every night, and we were just going, wow, we had no idea this this audience is waiting. It's like they they want this. Yeah. And it went really, really good. And we did a bunch of festivals, too, during that throughout Europe. And we were traveling in a splitter van. Not a new one. Not a nice new splitter van. And our buddy's splitter van in, in the U.K. with no tour manager, with our front of house guy, with two bench seats in the back facing each other. <laughs> 90 degree angles. No air conditioning. No heat. And we're going through, like, Italy in the heat of summer like the dead of summer this year it's hot it's like 90 degrees out and um is when i was drinking and we're in the back with hot vodka red bulls sweating (laughs) smoking (laughs) in our underwear just looking at each other and it's like you know the old bugs bunny cartoons when they're really hungry and he looks at his friend and he turns into like a chicken or something like he's gonna eat we're just looking at each other going i'm gonna i'm gonna fucking kill you dude (laughs) So just out of nowhere, we just start <laughs> hallucinating. Yeah, I'm, I'm like, I don't know. We're just attacking somebody. You know, I'm a, before you know, I got Miley on the ground, and I'm sitting on him, and we're both in our underwear. Like, take it out. He's like, "What are you doing?" And I'm like, "Shut up." <laughs> Welcome to the glamour of rock and roll yeah. on tour with Judas Priest. Yeah. <laughs> What's interesting though is here's here's a band that you say you know is a bluesy you know you certainly have hard rock elements to what you yeah. do. You've got all these this incredible mix of of what makes Rival Sons so cool. But you've you've now opened for pretty much two of the most iconic metal bands in history because you opened the entire more recently the entire black sabbath farewell tour that's right around the globe that's right so it's crazy when you think about that that like, you know, rival sons the kings of metal ladies that's and it. gentlemen like, we're like, here appreciate us but is it surprised you has it surprised you how those metal audiences have gravitated to you yeah and it's a real blessing because i find the two most loyal audiences in in music in the world of music there's two and i think it's metal and country like they stay with their artists like a bad album hey it's okay Wait, wait, one more i'm gonna listen to the other ones until you make the next (laughs) one like you know indie rock it's like oh I saw a picture of you in Star, and those shoes were super lame. I hate your record now. It's like really fickle, you know. And alternative, it's really fickle. But um, and rock is, as we've talked about and debated. I am not going to be somebody that says it's dead. That's ridiculous. But it's like it's lost in the shuffle of everything a little bit right now. 
you know, even for a band like us, who I find not an active rock band at all, I don't really understand it. We just had a number one on active and I'm going, oh, okay, we're, that's our thing. And we're against bands that I don't think sound anything like us. I think if anything, we'd probably be more on the alternative side, but we're nowhere inside on the alternative side. And then if you see what tops alternative, you're like, is that even alternative rock? What is that? That's, I've never understood all the is labels. That's synth pop or what the yeah. hell is that? This? So it's, it's weird. It's weird right now. So, um, I, I'm happy that, um, getting back to the point that the metal audience embraced us. We did things like Hellfest in, in France. You know this festival? I've heard of it. I heard it's great, actually. It's insane. You yeah. should go. It's insane. Cleason or Cleason, France or something. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. You walk in, there's like a giant Grim Reaper and it's like super hellish, but every, <laughs> and everybody's in black and it's hot and you're like, you poor, you poor motherfuckers. It's too hot to wear that. Anyway, we did that same, same deal where we're the, the bluesy, rockier band on this, really heavy festival and i wonder how these face painted all black wearing people are going to feel about this and sure enough we decided this is what we decided me and jay let's play extra ballads tonight (laughs) (laughs) and that's what we did and you know what happened that's what we did we play like on my way we play like you know all of our like most like tear-jerking jams and you know what happened lighters went up and all those people that had running makeup all their mascaras were running there it's like they're, they're emotional man oh my god you touched an emotional nerve with the meddlers yeah. at Hellfest no doubt yeah they were like ooh <laughs> deserting me ooh I miss you dad all of a sudden Jay starts singing in Cookie Monster voice that's it. oh my god that's amazing um, well that's one of the cool things many cool things about Rival Sons is the appeal that there's something in the music I think for everybody but for me I just love it because it's to me it's as real and from the heart and is great. It's all the things that make rock great, in my opinion. And I'm I'm just so into the new record. I want to talk specifically a little bit about the new record, Feral Roots, which came out a couple weeks ago. We'll get into that and more with Scott Holiday of Rival Sun. There's I mean, we'll talk about this too. It's really cool to see America really starting to come online now for this band after all the success in Europe and England where there's advanced sellouts on the upcoming tour already, which is awesome. So we'll talk a little bit more about what's coming up in America and the new record with Scott right after this. This This is the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Baseball season has arrived. With the start of baseball season, Podcast One Sportsnet has all your bases covered. With the Dan Patrick Show. You can't even spell strike. The Rich Eisen Show. But it doesn't matter if you get it moving if nobody's getting on base. And baseball and chill. Mike Trout will be paid close to half a billion dollars. That is more money than you would ever know what to do with. Don't miss Dan Patrick, Rich Eisen, or baseball and chill all summer long on Podcast One Sportsnet. This This is the Eddie Trunk Podcast. So I'm talking to Scott during the break, and he just casually says something like, well, yeah, when we played with the Stones, like anyone can... When was that? When did you play with the Stones? Uh, what was it, last November, I think? A tour or a one-off? What we was did, it? We did a few shows in Europe with them. Direct support? Yeah. And did you meet them? We met them, yeah. You did? Yeah. And 
Anything you want that you can anything out of the norm? Or? I've, I've signed a waiver. I'm not. I'm barely. NDA? I'm already. I'm already starting to breach that waiver. You have an NDA about the yeah. fact that you open for the Stones. Yeah, they can't talk, can't look, don't even say. Don't look me in the eye. No, um, we met them. Um, the thing is, the Stones are, are more famous than everybody else. Like the most famous band that you can name right now. Right. Let's just pick maybe the biggest rock band on the planet would be the Foo Fighters. Okay, right? Something really big or something. I'm trying to think of something that's just big and across a lot of genres or whatever. They are super crazy, crazy fans of the Stones. There's no comparison of what a Foo Fighters is to what a Stones are. Right, they course. themselves would not argue. Right. So when you're meeting the Stones, they're more popular than most people in government. Probably more people know who Mick Jagger and Keith Richards are than know who Donald Trump are right. in the world right. collectively. Right, right. So being around these people, it's literally like you're around the most famous people living on Earth. That's something. It's far out. So how does the meeting go down? Like you're, it look- goes down really. Um, it's it's really Disney, and I, I don't want to. I'm not putting it down or anything. I thought it was fascinating and it was wonderful, and I'll never forget it. It's like a but brokered not, thing, though. I'm that's assuming, right. right? Like, that's right. Okay, these they're going to be here, and we're going to bring you in, sort of thing. Correct. And it's the only one we've ever done because we've done so many. We we were talking about Kiss earlier. We've done Deep Purple. We've done Sabbath. Was in the it was Sabbath was a little like that, but not really. We were with them so long, we became friends, and mm-hmm. we were able to move around easy. I can go knock on Tony's door, and he'd be like, "Hey, man, come in, grab a beer, let's hang." You know, and it was I saw like, you guys with Sabbath in Vegas. Yeah, and you came up to where I was in the box. That's after right. We played. That's right. We you were came in the up box. and said hello. Yeah, that was fun. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the Stones is different. It's different. It's a little different. You know, we only did three shows anyway. We went out for a tour, and we were in, like, Germany, Switzerland, and, and something else. Um, were they aware of your music? Did they comment on yeah, your music at Actually, all? the cool thing is the crew, was they were, like, off their tits for the band. Like, all the crew on stage and everybody working for them were like, oh, my God, yes. So every time we intersected them, they were like, dude, we're crazy fans of the band. And I'm like, yes, that's great. And um, their stage manager, who was really wonderful, pulled me aside right before we went on the first night and said, hey, I want to tell you something. And I said, what? And he said, I just want you to know how this goes down. I'm like, I want to know. And he goes, if you want to know, I want to tell you. And I go, oh, my God, I want to know. How do we get picked for the gig? You know. And he goes, me and another guy and Mick are the ones that choose the bands. But Mick doesn't go hunting. It's me and another fella. We put a playlist together for Mick, and we give him what we think should go out, what makes sense, what's relevant, what we think they'd like. And then we give that to Mick. And he said, specifically with your band, Mick Jagger pointed at the screen when it was playing and said, these guys. I want to take these guys. And he goes, I just want you to know that, that he heard you and was pointing to you and specifically wanted you. And that meant a lot to me. Oh, my God. Do you know specifically what he heard? I don't know what record track. or song? Or... I don't. I, I don't I'd know. Lo- I would love to have known that. I think that was enough in the moment that I just went, oh, my God, yes. Right. Of course. Because everybody wants to tell us, oh, you know, especially in social media. I wonder how much those guys paid to get that gig. Oh, they thought you bought onto it? Yeah, and I'm sure I've I've seen a, a social media dickhead say this with Sabbath too. Oh yeah, it just goes to show you. I saw those guys it sucked. They, they they bought that for sure. The label paid. We were on earache at the time. <laughs> I assure you, they weren't buying me a pack of gum. <laughs> <laughs> but but you know the way you're building this band, and the way you're seeing the results of all this work, it's got to feel good to you, man. Because 
you're doing it the old school way. I mean, everything you're doing here is you're, you, you start on an indie label. You've just graduated to a major label. You put in all this touring. You're in the van in, the, in your underwear, you know, going through Be Europe with no show, air yeah. conditioning. You know, you, you, it, it, it's, you know what the truth is? It's exactly how I wrote it. Start out, take 10 years to become famous. <laughs> Drink but, hot Red Bulls and smoke cigarettes with no air conditioning in Italy. But, Scott, no, let me ask you, though, seriously. It, it, it might not be the way you, you, you wrote it, but don't you think that it will have the residual effect of what you're building will be much better than if you would have come out one song, one album, went, went boom? Would you have preferred that, or do you think it would have been a quick burn if that happened? At the time, I would have totally preferred it, but at the time, <laughs> I was already experienced and I'd already signed a deal to Atlantic and already already played a long time in my life. I was because right, you were in a band before Rival Sons, right? I was in several bands, yeah, but I was in specifically a band called Human Lab that signed to Atlantic and the record didn't come out, but I have a life in music, and so do all my guys. This wasn't our first rodeo. Right, so and, you weren't the kids starting out. You're like, no, I mean, get we, this shit going. <laughs> we, were, we were young, but we were kids, you know what I mean? And we all had experience with record labels and managers and how to do things. That's why we wrote the right deal. And to this day, we own all of our records and all of our publishing. Like We kept our business, so we could could not be charting in the U.S. and survive. Mm. The little bit we made went a long way because we had ownership of it, and we still do. Um, but to comment on the point about doing it, getting dirty, doing it the long, the long form, and having that like have a residual, slow build, yeah. a slow build. Yeah, um, I actually did say something to that early on in the career. All jokes aside, that the problem with rock and roll right now is there's not a band with like the dirt under their nails, like their hands bleeding from doing it. That's like riding around in the van and, and cheating death and doing it dirty. That a band that you can look at and go, yeah, dude, that's not bullshit. They had to put their money where their mouth was and they had to like really do it. This is when we started. And I kind of said to the band, we should just be that band. You know, we talked about it. We should be that band. Get in the van. So when we signed to Earache, we didn't get any advance money. They were going to give us a very little bit of money. And what they did was buy us a van. That's what we got. So when we signed our deal, we got a Ford Econoline. Oh, so they bought you the shitty van. Yeah, we have. Yeah, <laughs> we got the van. That was our that was our signing bonus, a touring vehicle that we would drive into the ground and nearly kill ourselves crossing over, you know, from New York to L.A. and into Canada, across Canada. Like, yeah, death-defying shit. We've cheated death several times. Oh, my gosh. It's scary. I always tell people the same thing. Uh, it took us a long time to make any money. It cost me a marriage. It cost me a lot. It cost everybody a lot in the group. And it's what it is. Um, you don't do this job because you want to be famous. It's not enough. You don't do the job because you you want to make a bunch of money. We don't make that much money. And people barely just know who we are right now. And we've been doing this band for 10 years now. That's I have no regret. There's There's a bigger reason to do rock and roll. And that's because that's just what you are. That's what That's what's going to come out. If I if I'm making no money and playing at a pub, if I'm becoming very famous and playing to eighty thousand a night, it's kind of the same. I I have to do it either well, way. And the guys I play with are like that. That's what that's what I think is one of the many things that makes your band so special. I mean, it resonates. You can tell. And uh, you talk about what it costs you when you say it costs you those things because of the finances or just because you've been on the road constantly or all of that. All of it. Yeah. All of it. You think that goes with it? Yeah. You're not coming home. 
you, you become disconnected to people at home because you're not home. Because you, when you guys tour, you you go, you'll be gone months and months at a time. We, right? we were gone a lot more early on, but it became a thing where, gosh, we have to maintain with children and stuff. We have to maintain families and stuff. So it's a lot like, of FaceTiming and all that sort of stuff. You oh know? yeah. I can't believe people used to do it without that. Yeah. Think about the seventies, eighties, nineties. But you think about any of these bands, that but did just it even the cell phone. I mean, you can pick up a cell phone and you can That's call. It. You can't, you couldn't do that back in the day. Like you see the, uh, um, what, for lack of a better uh, example, like in, in almost famous when he's like calling home and they have that like giant briefcase phone, like rotary dial, yeah. like yeah, cell yeah, phone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like dude, there's, or you're going to a pay phone. You're just like looking, how the hell are you talking to your people at home? You're just hoping they pick up. Not even answering machines in the early days. Right. It's just like, gosh, I hope I catch them. Yeah, yeah. Do you like all the touring though? I mean, I, it's you got to do it. It's to, to to to. But do you like it, or are you more of a studio rat? Mm. If you do, could, like, you know, for instance, Metallica, who are at a whole different level, of course, yeah. they go and they're doing a thing now because of the the touring and being away so much. They go and they'll do two weeks on, a week off, two weeks on, a week off. They can afford to do that. I want what they got. If you, that would be your preference <laughs> if you could do that? I'd also, I think it's touring smarter than, than longer. We toured hard for a long, long time, and it's a lifestyle, and I'm not trying to take it back or change it. I like it, and it, it made us who we are. It gave us, you know, it, it made us sharpen our sword in a certain way and gave us a certain, I had the tiger that you can't fake. You can't like walk. You can't want that walk. You gotta like earn it. You gotta walk yeah. that walk to get it. You know. Uh, how do you say? You, you you want your you want your rock and roll bands to be seasoned and and built in and beat in, and um, you just can't manufacture that. No label can like put enough money or imaging or bullshit because rock and roll fans, man, they're gonna smell that rat. If it's, so you're trying to make this band look like they've been around, like there was that guy that just like bought his own tickets. Oh yeah. So um, any, yeah. So this kind of uh, shit. Uh, what is it? Uh, threatened. Jared yes, threatened. That Jared threatened guy. <laughs> threatened. Yeah, that's the guy. In <laughs> we talked about that story. That's crazy. He's going to go back for their big reunion show in a year. The oh, exact my. same place where he sold no tickets. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. Uh, I'm not kidding you. To your point, Scott, about growing here in america you know i'll be honest with you it kind of still bums me out a little bit because i still after all the stuff you've done in the u.s now it's changing now thankfully but i still talk to rock fans they're like i don't know them and i'm like what like there's six seven records but it they just did the whole sabbath tour but it's coming around because you got sold out shows in advance on the tour i think i i stopped being angry about that like five years ago <laughs> I can't. So it's like not something I'm going to hang on to and go. You know, there's nothing you can do about. It. You're doing everything in your power about it, but the word still needs to get out there. Yeah, and it is. I mean, you're seeing great turnouts on this it's upcoming going, tour, right? It's going great. It's I'm gonna not going to complain. Great. We're happy, and we've gotten happy over the years with our growth every year. It's grown every year, so it's not like we had a year where it went boop. You know, like the record that probably didn't do the best was. Uh, the one before this one, believe it or not, was Hollow Bones. Due to the lack of activity with our uh, uh, label working it, and, and it just didn't get worked. Did they right. know that you were leaving at that when they, that record came out? Uh, they had an inkling for sure, so but they still they, they would they still had a life on the record. Like they still have right, lessons right, right, on right. that record right, now. Right, right. So you think they would keep working it? But the ironic thing is, guess what we were doing while that record came out? Working on this one. No, we were out with Black Sabbath for the, for 13 months. You think they'd seize that opportunity like right. we're on the most important tour 
on planet Earth. It's important, this tour. Farewell tour, yeah. It's very important. Everything is sold out. It's a world tour. We should probably work extra hard. We'll probably break the band on that tour. They didn't. Mm. But uh, we can't really... I'm not about the kicking rocks thing. Mm. Um, I don't want the show to end without specifically talking about Feral Roots. I'm getting hung up. Feral Roots. Phenomenal, phenomenal record. Do Your Worst, the lead track, which you said went number one at Active. Yeah, man. Which is incredible. Did you anything different the way you put this record together when you went in to write it and work on it? Is there any any different process at all? It was very different. Yeah, generally I will write it home on my own and not really share it with anyone. I'll just kind of backlog it and record stuff. Jay will do the same thing. He'll write and keep it to himself. We might touch a little bit on ideas, but not really until we're in the studio and talking. And then we'll immediately, while we're in studio, very quickly exchange ideas and immediately take them into the room and immediately record them. And what happens is you start hearing on the album, you know, first, second, third takes of times we've ever played the song. We'll keep that on a record. And that's how a lot of our records, we've done a lot of things. This album, we actually had time because we came off that Sabbath tour. We switched labels. We switched management. We changed our teams. We changed hands. We like did something different this time. And me and Jay decided, let's take a minute and really write together. You know, So we went to uh, uh, Southern Tennessee into this little cabin in the middle of nowhere and spent uh, uh, just over a week there exchanging ideas and really coming up with the concept and, and, and an idea of where we wanted to go with this writing-wise, lyrically. The feel, the ethos of this record, I guess you'd say. And we took instruments out there and like played, played out loud, you know, and made fires and kind of just got into it and would listen to what we recorded during the day at night and then came home and then passed things back and forth. He's in, he's in um, Franklin, Tennessee and I'm in Huntington beach, California. And we would just through modern technology, pass things back and forth and work on each other's songs until we felt like we had something. Then we'd go in for a week into uh, Nashville's uh, RCA studio a with Dave Cobb and I'll get in there and record just for a week, just the way we record normally, pretty much live, but, giving everyone the songs like here here's what mm. the songs are and then we'd come home after that week and go back and forth for a couple few months writing so we were really able to like hone in on these songs and spend some time and reflect on what we recorded the week before go go write go record for a week come home again and we did that you know in, in a few sessions i think the whole recording time was still like 20 days or something it was still short it's it's um I want to ask you about a couple of specific songs because the whole record top to bottom I said this to you off the air before we started talking I I I did with bands I love I listened to the record the way I wanted to which for me is a CD with my big speakers and tune everything else out and just dedicate the 45 minutes or whatever the running time is to this record to listen to it and my gosh did it just blow me away a couple songs I want to ask you about that just immediate favorites too bad yeah man massive <laughs> massive just oh god i love that shit tell me about that song um so jay had given me a song that um sounded like um we listen to a lot of soul and rhythm and blues and stuff too even newer stuff it sounded a lot like a, a track from like uh d'angelo's voodoo like it sounded like a D'Angelo track. It's what he kind of had. All he had, he'll write a lot on bass, and that's what it was. It was like a thing that went boom, t, boom, boom, t, boom, t, 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 
boom, boom, boom. And he's singing the verse. I've known you and I get to think That's what he had, you know, and I'm like, that's shit hot. Because I listen to that a lot, that kind of music. And I'm going, I love it. We can do something with that. And then we just kind of left it. It went away. We didn't think about it again. And then about, uh, I want to say halfway through the recording session, you know, our second big session I think we were in already, um, I was I got a new Gretsch guitar that I was really in love with, and I had brought it to the sessions and was sitting at home right before we came in and had written and riffed around a whole bunch and wrote this riff that's at the top of Too Bad, that main riff. And I, <sighs> So then I kind of wrote that and then had my own song idea. And I went, I have this idea. I came in, I said, it's hot. It's good. This is going to be good. I have a feeling for it, you know. Let me put some gadgetry on it and show you what it's going to sound like in the big room and then everyone started to play it and everyone heard this riff and dave cobb immediately came in and said that shit hot we're doing that now i go i have these other parts and dave just out of nowhere dave cobb said what about that other song that that jay was doing that like rhythm and blues thing with that thing you're so doing two right songs there. come together it's full chocolate peanut butter wow baby. that is amazing man two completely different worlds colliding but that song is just Gosh, it's just mass. Are you going to do that live? Oh, every night. Oh, I got to see it. Every I can't night. wait. I also, I mean, I, I love the whole record, man. Back in the woods. Cool thing about I want to just give you this tidbit since you really like that one. That yeah. was the first time we played that song after we made the arrangement. That was the first take that's on the record. Really? The solo that's on the record, guitar solo. Which I love. Was improvised because all we said was this, this is where we're going to put a solo. And instead of leaving it to go cut it later i cut that live on the floor i had replaced nothing that is the solo i cut off the floor i love look i i've always loved your playing but i love i really love the guitar sounds and you're to me even lead guitar wise you're playing a little bit more on this record it Mm. sounds like to me i don't know if i'm just you know because i love the record so much but i love like the the guitar sounds are just we're quite guitar-y. Oh, so good. Well, that's me. I mean, there's never too many guitars for me, Scott. Well, thank you for and, that. And uh, it is just killer. Before I run out of time, I mean, I love I love Back in the Woods. I love Look Away. I want to ask you about the last song on the record before I run out of time, um, Shooting Stars, sure. which has this amazing chorus on it. Yeah. Tell, where, where, where'd you find them? Who is that? This, is, this song... Um, was one of the toughest songs on the record because it was something that Jay wrote while we were in session and it's one of the only I think it's the only song in the history of the band we cut it three times we don't do that we cut it three so the opposite of too bad (laughs) yeah we cut it three times three different ways we finished the song three times that's there's a lot going into that it's like where you lay the bed, you kind of conceptualize a feel, you get the right drum sound, you get all the I track guitars on it, and then we listen to it and got it all mixed up and kind of went, okay, do we have something here? That's good. It's not right. Scrap, start from the ground up again, and then did that. And it's so close. It's not right. Boom, start over again. And this last time we knew. I, I just had known that when Jay, you know, for me, I always thought, man, the way that song sounds the best is when Jay plays it in the room, when he's showing us this song, like, here's the song. That's a great song, dude. But it just seemed like every time we would track it, it just came off a little schmaltzy or something. Like, this doesn't sound like our band. Mm. So we finally took this this treatment with it, and it just fit really, really good, which is still very live and very off the cuff and still very visceral in the room when we cut it. Um, 
I'm terrible about this stuff. That song is is the only one on the record that I didn't like co co-write with Jake because I was working on everything else while he was working on that at the other studio. So um, where did the choir come from? This was the thing. I, I think this was Dave Cobb's idea. He works with choirs and and, and you know God, orchestras with, his, and stuff. with Jay's voice, which you know. I think the best singer out there today is the singer in your band, uh, Jay Buchanan. But his voice, w- w- with the vocals, with the the choir, is just unreal. It's nice. It's amazing, and I, I want to really I, proud of him. I mean, I job. I love I love Jay's voice, and I, I love your playing. But shout out to the rhythm section too, man. Oh and yeah, Miley just it. I mean, this guy's unbelievable. He's a madman. Yeah. yeah, both him and Dave did a great job on the record. I'm. Could not be prouder. Now, when is, you, that's how we are as a band. You know, we all. It's, there, there's a lot that goes into it, and you, you, everybody wants to be heard and have their voice be heard, and, and wants to represent themselves and represent the band and do the best thing. And it gets it gets hard in the middle. It gets hard, and at the end of it, when you finally have it and it's mixed and it's done, we were really proud enough to kind of all look at each other and like you know, you feel a little, you feel a little like choked up, and you want to hug your hug your guys and go, good job, we did it. <laughs> We did it. It was hard. You got your you got your ass kicked a little bit on this one, but it's really good, man. You really guys got job. a lot of records now to pick a set list from. I mean, you figure out what you're going to do from this live besides Too Bad? Or are you going to do oh, a, dude, good, we, a good mean, amount we, of the record? We just came off the European tour. We played the first few nights. We played 10 of the 11 tracks. Off of this. And the rest of the tour, we played nine every night. Well, I got no problem with that because <laughs> when I, when a band makes a new record that I think is great, like yeah. I feel about Feral Roots, that makes me excited. Thank you. Because I want to hear, you know, of course I want to hear, you know, some of the, the key older tracks without a doubt, but well, I would have we're gonna... no problem with you doing this in, like the whole thing. I'd, I'd be fine with you doing it in sequence, the yeah. whole thing, you know? And that, I mean, it's hard because as for us, it's like such our child or whatever. It yeah. seems so like, let's do that. That's what we should do. But then I, I saw the Black Crows and Oasis play on that Brotherly Love tour, and the Crows were on their Lions album, and I took my dad to that show at the Greek Theater here in town, and um, the Black Crows came out and played no old songs no, you at can't all. do that. Dude, with with all those great records, like the really great records, yeah. Southern Harmony, yeah, Amorica. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I couldn't believe it. They played not a single one. Uh, yeah, I can't do that. Not even the not even the corny ones we heard too many times. I, I would have taken yeah, those. No, no, I still want to hear Pressure and Time, and I want to you're going to hear Pressure hear and Electric Time. Man. You're going to hear Electric Man. Man. All right. So um, we're good. See, I'm I'm fine. You get no complaints from me. Okay. <laughs> I, it, we're, it, we'll satisfy. And I, I think without. It's difficult, but you know you don't want to pat yourself on the back and go, "Yeah, but our record, we made a record. You can play every song." It's a, <laughs> but we felt like we did have a record on our hands that was like, "This record feels important to us more than than we're important, and this record's important." We felt like it's good. Let's try it. Let's see. For us, it's important. Let's just see if it translates, and it's been going really good with the audience. Well. Obviously, I love that band. You got to check out Feral Roots. It's out there right now. See the band on tour. And my thanks to Scott Holiday of Rival Sons for spending some time with me on this week's show. Again, all the interviews are courtesy of my daily radio show on Sirius XM. Listen to me every day on Channel 106, volume, live from 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern time, replay every night, 9 to 11 p.m. Eastern, or on demand on the Sirius XM app. If you listen on the podcast, you're only getting a tiny, tiny sample of what I do on a daily basis live on Sirius XM. And if you're one of those people that tell me they listen on YouTube, well, you're getting, God knows what you're getting because I'm not posting it. <laughs> so you could be getting anything. 
or a portion of anything or something wildly out of context. So please join me if you're in the U.S. and Canada on SiriusXM for my daily show and hear all the interviews, all the interaction, everything in its entirety, all the comments, all the phone calls, all the good stuff is happening daily on 106 Volume. Hope you enjoyed that interview and uh, check out Rival Sons for sure. Scott Holiday, by the way, on this new album, some of the coolest guitar playing and guitar sounds and tones, just just monster stuff. All right, the Eddie Trunk Podcast is produced by Katie Irizarry. It's new every Thursday, podcast1.com, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. Have a great week. I'll see you next Thursday for another all-new episode. Podcast One. Could this be a serial killer? You'd never think it could happen in a community like this. Cold Case Files, Season 4. The case would take several twists and turns. I mean, you're kind of, in essence, looking for a needle in a haystack. Based on the hit A&E television program. Now it starts to fit. The discovery will seal the fate of a serial killer. So I'm thinking, oh my God, I'm gonna die. I'm gonna die. She just screams and pleads for her life. Get new episodes of Cold Case Files every Tuesday on Podcast One. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.